The Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule, and it's been a little while since we got together. It's so nice to be back. I'm my sincere apologies from a, a slight summer hiatus. Things have been quite hectic, really, over the course of the summer, and uh, just a wee restival from the festival of life on Ibiza was needed. Um, I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest. I'm joined by Colombian Lithuanian troubadour, Yogis. Hello, hello, how are we doing? Oh, wait, 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 wait. There's anyone a troubadour? <laughs> I have to add that, you know, if I'm proper troubadour, you have to integrate the music as well, right? Well, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty of integration of music in today's episode. And um, I'm just really grateful that you would, uh, yeah, make your way over here to join us. I'm super happy to talk to you, Joe. I'm really proud of the work you do on the island and your, your dedication and, and consistency. So I'm happy to be here. It's an honor. I don't think I actually saw you since um, we got together at the International Music Summit with our mutual delightful human friend Sophie Schnapp. So it's lovely to to be back together um, to have a little chat because you were obviously in that sort of roundup really of, of all the action that happened over at Destino back before um, the madness of summer began. How's your summer been? My summer has been very uh, eventful. Um, you know, Burners tend to say that the playa gives you not what you want, but what you need. And I think the island is like that. I mean, one of the things I tell my friends is like uh, Ibiza is like Burning Man all year round. You definitely feel that you're in a container with resonant human beings and other kinds of forces and spirits guiding you. And uh, the, the summer has been eventful, full of lessons, ups and downs. Yeah, um, season three of Jurgis in Ibiza has been pretty good. I'm glad to hear that the island has been kind to you. I literally, every time I kind of seem to trace what you've been up to, you seem to be pinging around the world like the, the, the pinball wizard. Um, what, yeah, what's been the highlight of, of the summer? You say it's been obviously eventful. We'll get into that shortly. But what's been kind of your favourite moment? Well, fa- favourite doesn't necessarily mean the best moment, but I think uh, highlights have been, um, we started working with Juntos at the beginning of summer, to create uh, events that would be a, a cultural expression of regenerative agriculture, and that for me is a beautiful is a beautiful mission. Again, uh, asking the question: How we gather? How we break bread? How we commune with one another? And uh, and and what the representations and expressions of of a more aligned relationship with nature looks like in a in a yeah in a, in a kind of like in a recreational environment. So so that took up a, a lot of my time. Then, unfortunately, a lot of those events were cancelled um, or postponed. Maybe that would be the best way of putting it. Uh, my grandmother died, which was quite a big thing for me. I think, again, this is my first summer in Ibiza. So just experiencing the energetics of summer in Ibiza is wild, you know. Uh, the heat, the amount of people, the amount of FOMO in the air, you know, this we're doing this, we're doing that. Um, and a lot, also a lot of, you know, journeys concerning uh, love and unlove. So it's been, it's been very nurturing, very growing, very insightful. It's been a, a full plate of stuff. And a lot of beautiful creation, a lot of beautiful songs and a lot of beautiful creativity and that too, which is, which is I, think, I think, the main thing. I mean, I'm really looking forward to, to diving into all of those little elements. But let's start with, I mean, you know, as a, as a Colombian-Lithuanian in Ibiza, like, how did you end up here? Well, um, it's very curious because my grandparents are Lithuanian refugees. So they left Lithuania after the Second World War. They got to Colombia. And because Lithuania was occupied by the Soviet Union at the time, I then was brought up, my parents, my father and me, we were brought up as Lithuanians in Colombia, diaspora. Really very much... Uh, with the fear that Lithuanian culture could uh, could be eradicated by Soviet occupation, and um, and that was strange for me because I was I, I've I've always had this kind of cultural uh, confusion or say a problem with really understanding my own true identity. So more or less, when I turned twenty, I moved to Lithuania to connect with my roots, only to understand that I'm not a real Lithuanian by any measure, and. Um, 
And somehow after my grandfather died about two years ago, something lifted. It was very interesting because I felt that I, my attachment to Lithuania, despite my ex-wife, despite my kids, despite my career there and everything I've done, it, it, it no longer spoke to me. And I felt I needed to transcend. And I was actually on my way back to Colombia to do work with the Kogis, with an indigenous tribe at the north of Colombia. And a friend lured me out here. He says, come to Ibiza. I said, brother, drugs and disco. I've finished that chapter in my life. And he said, no, no, no. You have to check it out. You have to come. And it's really interesting because I got off on a cabin somewhere called Finca Delica up north. And the moment... I got there, it was like the sound of the crickets were speaking to me, the air was speaking to me, the, there was something there, and I felt the embrace of the island kind of go. Whoosh. And that's kind of when I understood that, yeah, this is definitely much, this really makes sense, especially that going to the Colombian jungle would be uh, detaching almost entirely from reality. And I think that, that Ibiza is one of those interesting places because, you know, kind of returning to that theme of what is a tribe, what is your identity, who you relate to, it's like, I think it's a, a whole. Ab- a bunch of spiritual outcasts, cultural misfits, people who don't fit in anywhere else, which are not that cynical to not want to try again and to really try to say, hey, no, we can we can create an alternative to reality. Even my father had said at some point something really interesting. He said, he said, no, you're going to Ibiza to escape, to escape, to escape. And when he got here, he said, no, it's not, you're not escaping. You're creating something new. That's not escape. And he said, don't go anywhere. Stay here, which is really beautiful. And then um, I'd been back and forth for a while. And then eventually what happened was that um, I just got more involved. And then projects emerged. And I kind of said, no, I have to be here. The island sent a very very clear message to me. It's like, the work you need to do is is here. Mm -hmm. And and I love it. I love it. I love it, um, you know, in part because of the amount of resonant human beings uh, on the island, which also define who you are. For example, being a forward-thinking outsider in Lithuania, in Lithuania, being here, just you know, another member of a of a tribe. Also, I think the amount of projects where there are people doing really amazing things, um, with one foot in metaphysics, esoterics, and and hippie woo, but with another foot firmly on on three D soil. And um, and I feel that it's a place where then you can contribute, but then you can also really create something together. Um, yeah, so it's all those elements as well as the spirit of the island, the weather, the nature, you know, everything else which makes it magical. Mm. That's kind of what's kept me here. I mean, you say that disco and uh, you know and parties was was a thing of the past. Is that I guess you know that's what people maybe it's interesting you say that there's this kind of expectation about what Ibiza is known for and what goes on here but I mean some somehow I think people from here would think about Colombia in a in a, in a similar fashion and in, in, to some degree sure. knowing what you know comes out of there so I think it's a an intriguing kind of two-way street perhaps in some regards completely I mean I mean there, there's two mistakes which happen with with narratives of this sort and the first is that they're usually dictated by sensationalist journalism right so you know so drugs and disco you know debauchery you know that that speaks to people, right? Uh, in terms of Colombia, also violence, you know, drugs and all kinds of other, um, you know, stuff. Uh, when actually, there's a whole lot more to it. A whole lot more. It just doesn't get doesn't. It, it flies under the radar. And then the second thing I think, uh, you know, where we make a mistake is that is that narratives change over time. And I, for me, for me, what's intriguing is you think of Ibiza. You know what you know. We've read in in DJ mags, or you know, I don't know, in the, in the in the press. But then you kind of think, well, what you know? What's the history of Ibiza? And you start from the Phoenicians, and then and then you think of the hippies that came here in the '60s, and you know what they were creating, and what they were looking after. You also have then you know the the influence of Catalan culture, right? And always there's certain things that that are there. And now what I feel, which is very interesting, is that there's this reemergence, or not a re- maybe an emergence of um. I don't know, I, I wouldn't say maybe a postmodern, but may, maybe even I would dare say post-apocalyptic kind of mindset where people feel that the world is definitely fucked and it's going to get more fucked and that what we need to create is coherent structures and relationships through which we become resilient. 
And and that is what speaks to me. And again, that is something that transcends, you know, disco life of the 80s and 90s because it's an island. It's always been like that. It's always been about, you know, spiritual connection, resilience, uh, you, you know, finding life on paradise that is both inclusive and nurturing. So, 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 you know, narratives change and it is up to the people to share those narratives. Um, you know, we, we were going to speak maybe about Mambe and, and Ambil later on and people's relationship to the coca plant when I was speaking about Colombia and things like that. But talking about Ibiza, you know, one of the things that I love doing is, 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 is changing the mythologies. I say, no, 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 it's not just about, you know, Pacha and Amnesia and all this. It's, there's something else. And uh, funnily enough, that, that intrigues people. They're like, oh, really? What's that? You know, so I, I feel that every person has a responsibility uh, to tell tales. You know, and sometimes even um, embellish them as I make them a little bit better than they are because, you know, we're projecting into the future. It's like, you know, so, so, so um, I do feel a responsibility. Funnily enough, I don't, I don't really know how long I'm going to be on the island, but I do feel that this is home at the moment. Mm. And so I feel committed to the community and, and, and those narratives, you know. I mean, that is the number one reason why I started this podcast, because I just feel like, you know, there were no speech-based podcasts, not one in the entire um, iTunes chart before I set up the Reset Rebel. And, and the number one thing I wanted to give back was to paint a picture of Ibiza um, as an island with so much more on offer. You know, once you go north of Ibiza town, which is, you know, it took me about 10 years to discover that it even existed. I was only here to party in my 20s and, yeah, suddenly had this kind of awakening. And it was just like, yeah, I think that's obviously what you do through your work as well. And it, it, it is a beautiful thing when you fall in love with Ibiza and the other side that just like 99.999% of the population has no idea that exists other than the ones that actually come and spend some time here and and dive a little bit deeper under the surface. But let's talk about um, the ceremonial act that you're in the process of uh, of doing that I've been slightly fascinated with since you, um, yeah, got your little pipe out. Well, it's very, it's very cute. This, this is actually a spoon. I should have a, a stick and a spoon. So my mother's Colombian. She's from the north from Santa Marta. And Santa Marta is home to some of the most amazing indigenous communities I've ever had the honor of meeting. Truly magical human beings. And now that, you know, ancestral ma ancestral wisdom becomes a thing, you start to appreciate it more. It's funny because in cultural context, my mother is always like, oh, those crazy savages, those indigenous people. You know, she was brought up to 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 belittle and diminish them and their culture and things like that. But I became fascinated, especially I had a couple of transcendental experiences with them. And uh, one of the main, or the main, actually the main power plant for them, uh, the main medicine in north of Colombia and also in, in other regions of the Amazon, uh, including Ecuador and Brazil, is the coca leaf. And coca leaf is a tremendously powerful, benign, miraculous plant. Um, you know, you drink it in tea, it's good for headaches, for tummy aches, it, it tonifies, it's a, it's a superfood, it has tons of minerals, of vitamins, it's, it's really good for you. Um, unfortunately, like everything in, you know, you know, in like many things in the West, you know, we tend to take a good thing and then pimp, pimp it out, you know. So we became addicted to a specific alkaloid in coca leaf, and uh, and the way that we we commune with coca in the West is by bathing it in gasoline, you know, mistreating it, uh, and then uh, and then bathing it in blood and money on the way up to uh, you know up and up and out of of Latin America. Um, and I I I first encountered coca leaf in Mambe about maybe. Three years ago, three four years ago, and it was a very interesting experience because I had uh, done quite a bit of cocaine when I was younger, and I kind of realized that it was a curse. I saw how many lives it destroyed. I saw how many of my friends ended up, um, you know, some of them ended up dead, or some of them ended up really just squandering their potential. And I, I stayed clear of it. But when I communed with Mambe for the first time, uh, I even felt the plant speak to me and say, "Ah, you've mistreated me, huh?" And the more you get into the plant and the way that they revere the plant, for them, the plant is the source of all feminine creation. It's like, uh, for them, it's like uh, the magic of the womb in a plant. So very much like ayahuasca operates in, um, in an alternative realm 
whether it's another realm or another dimension to, to guide you to, to do spiritual work. Coca leaf operates in this dimension, but she fertilizes your thought, your emotions, and most importantly, your word. So I have mambe at the moment, and mambe is, is coca leaf powder from the Amazon, and they use it mostly for communing with, you know, you know, with, with beings in this in this realm, but also for doing talking circle. So for sitting and speaking, and so so they call the ritual the the sweet word, especially when you have to sit for three four days. There's no written word; nobody writes everything down. You have to be focused. You have to be clear. You have to be connected. Um, and increasingly, I feel, kind of feel that that I should be telling people about mambe because coca being such a miraculous plant um, in so many ways in so many ways uh, having a, a a positive relationship with her will in some way affect you know the the world around us um, because I, th- I think at the essence I, I mean I am a regenerative hippie I've, I've been an activist I am a, uh, an environmental activist I'm, I'm a climate pact ambassador for the U- European Union um, I really believe that cl- climate is just uh, it's just uh, it's 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 the world it, it's the earth uh, it's like fever you know like it, it, it has a it has a reaction you know and we're looking at the symptoms but the real problem is much deeper uh, and if you ask yourself what the um, what the inflammatory process is about it has to do with our relationship with 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 spirit with the earth with the elements around us and and with human beings. Um, and so, and so again, it's one of those small rituals which tries to rewrite codes. Because I'm a poet and a musician, I believe in the power of, of, of aesthetics and metaphor and storytelling. And so this is a good way of engaging people, you know, in that sense. It's like, well, you know, you should be, you should be communing with this plant. Uh, it has a lot of benefits, um, but you should do it properly with reverence and love and, and an understanding of what it is and what it means to, to other people on the planet. Mm-hmm. I think it must be quite disappointing, though, when you come here and, 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 you know, not only did you have your own encounters with um, the plant when you were growing up. And obviously, I guess that must be the journey of of a lot of people that grow up in Colombia where something just like alcohol in in Europe is a a norm. I'm guessing that kind of journey exists there as as an undercurrent and is something that is, you know, more easily accessible in a a much purer form, I would imagine, than we get it over here as well. But what, what does it feel like to arrive here and witness kind of perhaps that scene in a slightly more seedy uh, sense. Well, it's curious because my 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 immersion into cocaine was when I was maybe twenty one, twenty two, and I was actually in Lithuania because in Colombia cocaine isn't cool. It's not. It's cheap, right? And you know nobody does lines. Everybody, you know, you get super high quality stuff. You put it, you know, the key in the bag, or you put it on your nail, and you just you kind of do like these mini bumps. And it, it wasn't cool. It wasn't like something, you know, when I was young, it was like, no, like, you know, all right, grass or, you know, acid or MDMA. It's like well, people were into something else. When I got to, to Lithuania, everyone's like, oh, you're from Colombia. I'm like, yeah, I'm from Colombia. Like, Come try our cocaine. Tell us if it's any good. And, and that took me down a relatively dark, but if not fun path. I mean, I had tons of fun. But the problem with coke is that when it costs 200 euros or 200 pounds, or I don't know what it costs now, a gram. And you've got that in your pocket and, and you know, all the girls want to go to the bathroom with you and all your friends want to hang out with you. It's, it's actually a source of power. Um, interestingly enough, one of the things that people most appreciate about cocaine is that it gives them a little bit of focus. It gives them a bit of a kind of like, you know, self-control or a feeling of that, that you know, I'm, 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 I'm whole. Um, and it's all an illusion, and then, in, and then also, it's like you know, if you think about you know, when people binge and they sit at a table for three days, you know, and they think they're really connecting with someone. It's like I, have to, I remember sitting with all kinds of amazing human beings and doing coke until like for a day or two, and then really feeling we hadn't built a relationship. You know, we kind of it was our demons speaking to each other, and so these weren't people you'd want to call the next day, you know, or or if you call them as I, uh, uh, you know, there was this discomfort. So, so for me, very much the difference between coca leaf properly, properly used or properly, you know, which is properly communed with versus cocaine is that the cocaine is an illusion, which has a, a destructive edge to it. Whereas coca leaf itself is is what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And here on the island, now for me, you know, people are like, and, and for most of my friends, it's like cocaine is a red flag. It's like if people are going into the bathroom doing bumps or something, you're like, this isn't my party. This isn't, you know, these this tribe isn't my vibe. Um, and 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 it's not just me. I haven't I haven't had any issues. I mean, I haven't taken cocaine in, in almost a decade. So and I don't I don't think it's an issue here. Well, I mean, it hasn't been for me. It's like it's just I just don't hang out with those people. Or if they're gonna you know go binge, I'm like you know you know do your thing, go enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but it's 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 also interesting, you know. On Ibiza, uh, we're so spoiled. We have all the best psychedelics. You know, you have all the best breath work, all the best energy workers, all the best, you know, all these things. Where then you can actually be selective. And I think on the island, you do have that worth. Like, if someone's taking cocaine, you're like, you know, it's almost it's almost like a like a, a person who still still eats at McDonald's or something when you know you have so many other things on offer it's like why 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 are you doing this you know oh it's it's a guilt it's like a, a guilty sin or a guilty pleasure all right well you know but uh, i do feel that the vibration of the island or at least the people we hang out with is is a bit different hmm. i think before we move on to another subject do you want to give us a little a little troubadour anecdote to uh, that particular line of conversation a troubadour anecdote well, you know, no, 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 I have to, I have to cast, I have to cast some magic on it, you know. What can be said? Mm, what can be said about a plant which you put up your nose and messes up your head if you only knew what it was there to do to fertilize your thoughts, open paths, and show you what. You are to do. Yeah, that's just me fucking around. <laughs> I like it. I remember actually you just reminded me the other time I was very happy to witness your incredible energy and uh, wonderful presence was at the TEDx um, conference in the in the break. And I just remember peering over the balcony and just about 50 people all standing around you with big smiles on their faces. And that's, you know, a big part of what you do. You pop into these conferences and more corporate spaces and inspiring spaces where people get together and share their intelligent um, discourse, I think, and, and yeah. things they're learning and in the, in the ways that companies can connect in a, in a different environment. And I just had no idea until I hosted TED and then I did the tech forum that these kinds of events have like a whole circuit of stuff going on around them. And, and you're a big part of that. I'd love to hear a bit more about the kind of conference world that you also dive into on a regular basis. Yeah, it's funny. I'll I'll try to be short uh, and give a little bit of a pre-story or pre-history to to how I got where I was. Um, So I I made music. I was a very successful musician in Lithuania for quite a while. Uh, I married the most famous Lithuanian musician at the moment. She's Irish, but she was like, you know, she's like the the Lithuanian Shakira or Madonna or whatever. Uh, And we did very well. But at some point I realized that the music I was making was not fulfilling me. And being being you know famous in a small market has its own problems you know in the sense that that you kind of have to appeal to a, uh, a general audience and the lowest common denominator, and so we had a really nice band, great people, but you know we were we weren't really playing music. We weren't playing playing in the sense of play, enjoying you know communing, uh, transcending through music and all of this, and it, it wasn't feeding me creatively. So at some point. Um, I became so disenfranchised and we did Eurovision actually in 2010 and after that I was like, you know, I'm done. I, I just can't do this anymore. Um, and I did an MBA and funnily enough, you know, through 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 basic, basic just market analysis and understanding how you create value for other people and really understanding that business is service, how you service other human, you know, how, how you're of service to your community. And if you're of service to your community, you will make money off of it. You will, because you create value for other human beings. They will value it, and they will put that value back in your pocket. But what I realized is that is that music is much more than a commodity to be peddled in boxes. You know, whether to be put on a CD or an LP for someone to buy, whether filling an auditorium with music. I mean, music is is witchcraft of the highest order, but it's also a great way of building community. So at some point, you know, someone said, maybe, you know, maybe you want to try public speaking with music. And I started doing public speaking with music. But then, you know, what was really curious was understanding that that it wasn't so much, you know, me proving that I can 
play a guitar and speak at the same time, what was really getting people excited was when they were singing and coming together. And that was creating a whole lot of value for them. And then because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fluent in business jargon and, you know, and, 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 and themes of, of, you know, organizational culture and employee engagement and stuff like that, I started to design experiences, musical experiences, where you could you could um, you could firsthand um, create uh, a sense of community, of unity, of coherence, of harmony, and then explain what was going on. So, so I've done really well with that, and uh, and and that became just kind of like a new, whole new format. You know, I I was working with, um, and that's my day job. That's that's what I do. Uh, I, I get hired by companies who say we have this kind of issue. It can be anywhere from toxic masculinity to just like, hey, we have a team, you know, that, that's new and we need to onboard them, or you know, we have a remote team which hasn't met in a year or two, or we have these new challenges or these new values we need to bring in, and and we need an emotional experience to tie it all up. And so I'm, a, I like to say that I'm a mercenary, you know, like. It's like I get a brief. I said, "This is what we need to do. These are the emotions that need to we need to convey. These are the key messages." And then I come. I use music. I put people under the spell of music, and get them involved. And then and then I allow them to be part of the spell. And when they become part of the spell, you know, the funny thing is that we're actually tribing, tapping into a deeper tribal technology. And and just for context, so the human race, as we know it has been around for at least 200,000 years. Some people say oh, it's a lot more. Some people say it might be less. Some people say it was the aliens, whatever. 200,000 years, we can all agree on this. But we've only been operating uh, with the written word and organizations since the Sumerian Empire. That's 6,000 years. Uh, and so there's this whole operational system, this whole kind of part of us that knows how to organize and self-organize, pretty much like the birds in flocks or, or schools of fish. We know how to do it. We know how to create fluid, horizontal leadership without too much talk, without, you know, any written rules or roles or without any, any, uh, any what do you call it, any, any, any institutional guidelines. We just know. Mm-hmm. And I started to really feel that this is key to creating uh, or to upgrading our civilization because we become so, so, so tied up with um, very complicated frameworks from government to, to, I don't know, legal agreements that we kind of forget that in essence there's things that we just know that are implied. And, and music for many tribes, which are still around today, is the key way of creating community and creating coherence within Within, uh, within their groups. So I've, I've been tapping into that. So I did this whole thing where I went from music with public speaking to actually saying, wait, if we are actually in a moment of civilizational pivot, uh, strengthening our humanity and our ability to aggregate human potential is going to be very needed. And what better way to, to exercise these muscles and flex these skills than to go into musical circle and have fun and understand what it is to listen understand what it is to contribute, understand what it is to create coherence. And uh, and thankfully for me, there's companies that will pay handsomely to bring a little bit of that to their midst. Why does that give you more satisfaction than being a big fish in a small pond? Um, I think it's because, I, th- there, I think there's several reasons. The first one is because I'm not really Lithuanian. So so just being within the context of Lithuania, I always felt that I wanted to do something more. I really felt that I, my tribe is global. The second thing is that, that um, there's limitations. When you're a big fish in a small pond, you can't really grow. You can't grow. Uh, like, you know, the same saying where if you're the smartest person in a room, you need to go choo- you, need, you need to find another room. And I think for me, it was just that, that it was like I felt, you know, I still had skills to develop. I had new th- other things to do more other adventures to to uh, embark on and Lithuania was just was just too small it wasn't it so so on the one hand it was this craving to find a tribe and on the other hand it was just like this desire to expand and i think thirdly the other thing is that the problems we're dealing with are global um and again you return to certain people like uh, artists like i don't know the beatles bob marley um you know 
people people who actually had more to say uh, than the raw expression of their music. You know, people that actually had a vision, and and it was accompanied by the artistic art form. And I kind of felt that I would much rather be speaking to a global audience than to just you know the reality and the mindset of uh, a three million person country. And that's kind of that's kind of what what drove it for me. Let's talk about your regenerational uh, music role that kind of began uh, at the beginning of the summer. I mean, I was at Huntas for their uh, spectacular opening on Sunday. Um, beautiful to see some of the initiatives and the plans for education and working on this idea of a of a community and expanding. I think people's not just access to local, seasonal, island fresh, zero kilometer food, but also a deeper understanding of of how we nurture the land of Ibiza and really grow that concept together. It felt very inclusive in the way um, that they, you know, were asking us what we actually wanted in in the crowd there on the day. And I think that that was, you know, a really lovely way to kind of make things feel like it's not just about this kind of big business. It was about, you know, integrating that into the needs and wants and desires of the the people that are actually going to be benefiting from that. So what, you know, how did your role come about there to kind of um, be hosting the gathering? Well, let me, let let me, let me first uh, kind of, of define what regeneration is and why it's so attractive to many people like myself and, and Christian and uh, I don't know, other people in this space. So, so the earth has an, an illness. Let's say it's an inflammation. That inflammation comes from a problem with the relationships. And relationships, are, I, I, I think, are, are, are at the heart of it because a relationship is, is how you relate to something, you know, just, just etymolog- etymologically speaking. What are you to me? What is this building to me? What is this island to me? What is the soil to me? What are, what are other living beings to me? And the way you make sense of that is how you make sense of the universe and your place in it. That's actually called cosmology, which is actually super interesting. When you hang out with indigenous tribes and they start saying that water is alive and things like that, that really does affect you. So at the essence of regeneration is a healthy relationship with the soil. And it's really beautiful because the more you get into it, you understand that we are, we are a product of the earth. We are animate soil. We are animate soil. And, and you know, whether it's the animals we eat or the fruits or the vegetables, we are, we are, you know, Alan Watts says, uh, an apple tree, apples, you know, of the earth peoples. And I kind of love that idea. Okay, well, that's great. So let's, let's work on this relationship with the soil. So uh, practically speaking, regeneration is about having a, re- a healthy relationship with the soil, making it as healthy as possible so that it can serve human future generations and, and, uh, and guarantee the success of all life on this planet. But then there's all the ramifications. Well, what does that mean? You know, it's like, okay, well, we have to eat different. We have to, you know, you have to choose the fertilizers. We have to, you know, avoid chemicals, all these things. But the question that arose was that, you know, every movement has cultural expressions. Disco had bell bottoms, right? Hip hop had baggy pants. Uh, Everything has cultural expressions, which says that you are part of this tribe and you believe in this. So in essence... What we're trying to do is convey a very complex message through simple aesthetics. And then the question with the gathering was, and again, when we we came up with the name and we sat down and said, well, all right, well, then if we are a tribe, we are gathering. And the question is, how do we gather? How? How do we come together? How do we eat? How do we celebrate? How do we pray to the food? And then, and then the tagline was, well, well, we want to show people that this is how we gather. This new tribe of people who want to improve their relationship with the soil and the earth, we have certain aesthetics. We have certain rituals. And so for me, it was not just like, hey, let's bring uh, some musicians together and, and entertain. For me, it was like, no, like, what is the geometry of the space? It has to be a circle, right? We should have hopefully a fire in the middle. You know, uh, we should all eat at the same time. We should all eat the same food. We should be uh, aware of the food and show gratitude. You know, again, because many of these, you know, many of these people are spiritual hippies who believe that, you know, Mother Earth is an animate spirit and, you know, that she provides abundance and things like that. It's like, how do we put those expressions in? How do we, uh, again, how do we uh, close the space, you know? And so that whole thing from the basic... Uh, 
anthropological, you know, um, I don't know, the, the starting point, you know, the circumstances we're in, uh, and then considering where we want to head, you know, that, those were all considerations that were put in. And that's why um, one of the things that we're doing, and I'm doing right now, is we're, we're designing an EP, well, I'm putting together an EP uh, with what we call regenerative music. And then the question is, well, what the fuck is regenerative music? So I say, well, you know, if music was regenerative, then most likely it would be organic. Most likely it would be a community-driven effort. Most likely it would be locally sourced, you know. It would have to be delicious without a doubt, you know. Do, uh, do we dance in regeneration? For sure. Is there diversity? Of course there's diversity. You know, it seems like, you know, just through asking that question, you kind of really define what it is, is what it is and what it isn't. So, so having that brief for me was really beautiful because whether it had been juntos or not I, I was still moving in the same direction which was on the one hand working with companies and helping them upgrade their internal culture and uh, and accelerate community but then saying okay well how do we bring this to the to the world at large and saying well you're on the same mission I'm on the same mission we just need to coordinate a little bit to make this move forward and what we are looking at is is prototyping solutions that can be scaled globally. Mm-hmm. And and they're looking at the agricultural part. They're looking at the branding, distribution, uh, you know, how we deal with the seeds and things like that. There's people who are dealing with the real estate part of it. There's people who are dealing with many. I'm dealing with the cultural part of it. It's like, how do we gather? How is it? Like, what, what, and why, did, why is this special? And if anybody doubts the importance of this, you know, you can look at Burning Man and how that that's a transcendental experience for so many people where they feel that we're actually prototyping a new reality. You can also go to a more nefarious example of Adolf Hitler and Goebbels who said, well, you know, if we're creating a new reality, we have to have our own symbology and our own songs and our own rituals really to create the sense of identity. And what you discover is that we have been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years. And to ignore it is to ignore our the main way in which we come together create a tribe and aggregate their potential. So so I'm I'm I couldn't be happier that I'm working on the thing that I th- I think will help humanity doing what I do, you know, best and doing it with people who get it, you know? Mm-hmm. Where you don't have to sit for hours explaining. If this was in Lithuania, you know, they'd be like, "Yeah, but where where's the bottom line?" you know, or like, you know, or maybe let maybe let's put a beautiful girl dancing because people like beautiful girls dancing. You know what I mean? It's like when people get it, it just becomes much easier. So I'm I'm happy as a clam. Have you started working on the EP and how's that sounding? Yes, I have. And it's very curious because the EP itself, um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's an expression of it that has to go on Spotify. It has to be a consumable. Um, you know, there's this, this whole concept of Maya, which is most advanced yet, uh, no, most most advanced yet accepted um, from this this designer. Uh, I don't remember his name right now from the 50s. So if you do something which is alien to people, they don't get it. They'll be like, I don't understand how to use this. Uh, but if it's if it's not different enough, then it, it, it just it just doesn't have, you know, any appeal. So we've been designing songs which uh, which are really beautiful, which about like, you know, like, uh, you know, some of the, some of the songs are are like uh you know where we go you know how do we know how do we know that the seeds we've planted will grow how do we know how do we know how do we know and so that turns into a song but it becomes chants that you can chant along you know and say oh is this becomes like a, a tagline like a little bit of a uh a message that is that is that, that that kind of informs my reality, much the same way that Bob Marley did or or John Lennon did, and then we have other songs that are about the. Uh, I mean, there's songs that are meant to be sung. There's songs that we hope people will not only play but will also play with, and so when they do a gathering, they're like, "Oh, this is a song with which we bless the food, right?" Or this is the song with which we create coherence. So so, it's it's a process that we've been working on for a while. Um, and I'm super excited about it because it really requires me to put everything I have into it, um, both from a musical production point of view, and then you know, you know, it has to be poppy enough so that it sticks and that it travels, 
And again, there have to be lyrics that kind of have some kind of meaning. And then again, how it's like it has to be a recipe for people to, you know, cook in their own kitchens. And so all these considerations are going in. I'm I'm super happy. I'm super excited. And these songs as well, they're being prototyped constantly. So we do uh, weekly gatherings on the island where we enter a state of elevated musical co-creation and we try things out. It's like, well, what works? Oh, this worked. Boom. So we write it down and we're going to try that. And the beautiful thing about that is that not only are we creating tribe, but the tribe is informing the music itself. And uh, and then it means something to everybody and it becomes like something that is process over product. It's not something that I created in the studio. It's like, hey, now, boys and girls, you have to sing along to this. No, no, it's like we have been developing this together. So it becomes more of like an anthropological quest of seeing what is out there, what is emergent, bringing it in, and then and then sharing it with the people. I kind of like I kind of like the example of, of David Attenborough in that sense. You know, many of the recordings are very much about that was the magic right there. We got it. We got it. And so rather than trying to create it in a studio, we're trying to capture it, then synthesize it, and then see how we we feed it back to uh, to to the people who who to which it may matter. What seeds are you planting right now? Well, I'm I'm super happy because I'm at a point in my life where I know what I'm good at, so I know what my gift is, and I know how to serve the people around me. You know, not only the corporations or the companies which which pay handsomely, but also, you know, the hippies with which we're creating this this tribe with. You know, and I know my place within them, uh, and so everything really just goes back to that. It's like, no, my thing is the music. It's the music. It's about, but more than the music. It's about rediscovering the music within you and under and, and, and helping people understand the implications it has. I mean, I love the esoterics of music. And I think I think that any good musician has to understand the true power of, of music. So whether it's a, a dance track at 100 BPMs, which is matching the energy, right, with a heavy kick and it's like, whether it's strings that are, you know, from a symphony orchestra which put you in a melancholy mood. You're really, you're really playing with emotional alchemy. I mean, at, at a, and if you know what you're doing, and if you recognize it, then you can go even beyond and you can say, well, what is beautiful? What is beautiful society to you? Again, beautiful society, like say a, a party is beautiful society. A party is where we go to, to mingle and to be part of of something with the people that we most like or the people we want to, to be related to or affiliated to. So then you start asking yourself these questions like there has to be rhythm. Yeah, the, the, what's the rhythm? The rhythm has to be, do you want to dance together? Do you want to dance separately? Is the dancing aggressive? Is it not aggressive? Um, so once you start playing with all these variables, which in, on an even deeper level have to do with vibration and that, that you know, uh, that, that, you know, a lot of this is just physics, you know, like 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 everything is vibration, and so sound is a vib- is vibration, and beautiful vibration is is music, and then and then if you have proper rhythm and harmony, all of these things apply not only to the music, but also they apply to the things that you like in your own life. You know, mm-hmm. do you let do you want your music to have a little bit of an edge to it? No, do you want it to be kind? Yeah, I want it to be kind. So so the this is just the power of metaphor, and again repeating. Simple aesthetics conveying a complex message. When you think about what we said at the beginning, like that Ibiza is obviously known for this one thing, and I've talked a lot about wanting to reset the narrative of what Ibiza is known for. I mean, what you've just described there through the regenerational music concept and the work that you're doing to bring people together in community and together. I mean, the only negative connotation that comes from Ibiza being known for this kind of clubbing, nightlife-y kind of thing is the fact that it brings perhaps a certain type of tourism to this island or sets a space for narcotics to be consumed. And that's perhaps a negative thing to be bringing to Ibiza. But ultimately, I think that the the context within which people are gathering is changing dramatically as people kind of understand this, you know, real need to be a lot healthier I think than with the knowledge and the science that's evolved over the last kind of 50 years since Ibiza became a party destination and I think actually if we took out of the equation some of the things that we've just been discussing in the podcast then actually it just 
it could be a very different storyline. And I think that really is in a state of extreme evolution, as you've just kind of been describing. And I think actually the goalposts are really moving between, you know, a lot of people coming here to be on health retreats and do the best breath work that you said about and, you know, to get involved in those pockets and corners of community that are really giving something amazing. And there's a, a lot of amazing practitioners on the island with a lot to offer. And I think between those two sides that there is just a whole other you know, even another new part of Ibiza that's starting to come to fruition. For sure, for sure. I couldn't agree more. And I think uh, that's the reason why I'm here. That's that's the reason why I feel that this is the place to be. I feel that this is a place that's ready for evolution, re-evolution, for a re-emergence, for a reinvention of what it is. And you don't have to deny the past. Um, for example, one of the things that we've been discussing at Juntos is that, is that we don't want to... Um, we don't want to go against club culture. It's like, we'll go to clubs as well. It's like, fine, why not? You know, it's like, it, you know. Um, but then the question is, how can you make it better? How, you know, and then once people see that there's something better, it's like, oh, that was cool last season. Well, what's cool this season? And you start tapping into that. And so also, again, the, the whole Maya principle, right? How do, you, how do you create something that people still get? And they're like, ah, oh, it's pretty cool, but it's different. It's new. Oh, this, oh, this is... This is. And I think I think that those elements, uh, beginning from the geography, the the energetics of the island, the history, the amount of healers, breathwork practitioners, and things like that, all coming together, and then this whole emergence of the uh, experience design um, market, where people are like, "Yeah, we we're ready to try something completely new." That is, those are optimal circumstances and conditions to birth something new. Um, and it excites me. It, it, it excites me tremendously. And that's why, that, why, that's why it's like maybe for the first time in my life, uh, I feel that I'm where I have to be with the people I have to be with the resources I need. And now it's just like we need to move it forward. Uh, and again, it's not about me. And that's one of the other things that we were talking about. It's like, it's not about, oh, Jurgis is going to become like big shit and he's going to create something amazing it's like no 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 we're creating a new scene it's like that's why I'm actively engaging musicians and talking and learning from them and they're learning from me and we're like creating like a whole language of co-musicality you know and uh, and uh, again with Juntos it was the same thing it was like we have different musicians we would have every uh, different musicians every time you know which which knew the language which knew more or less how it goes so every time it's kind of like seasonal vegetables, you know, or it's like, this is, we're working with this right now. But what you create is something much larger, which I think is necessary. It's not about Felix the house cat. It's about house music, right? It's not about Bob Marley. It's about reggae. It's about, you know, like, let's, let's look at the genre, you know, and then, and then again, really carefully gauging um, who the players are and, and how they can be brought in. I mean, we have fantastic musicians on the island, and we have, we have what is, I believe, also... Uh, an emergent musical style previous to me, like even like like where I've had nothing to do with it, and you can talk about Aguare, Apechimba, you know, even Alex Serra, which has done a great job. Many, many people, you know, Diego Toran, what he's doing with House of Frequency, very much is aligned with this. But the beautiful thing is that when you you speak to these players, it's like it's like you don't feel that it's competition because we're all aiming at the same thing for something beyond ourselves. Um, which is very different than the traditional music industry. The traditional music industry is absolutely cutthroat. It's it's actually we we did business we did a market analysis on it when I was when I was doing my MBA, and it's actually it's ruthless, in the sense that it's a winner takes all market, uh, which stifles creativity in many cases, where there's many people involved who are not really treating the artists like uh, the connection to the sublime. You know, rather than just seeing what resonates, and especially nowadays, it's like, oh, that works. We're gonna go with that. That works. Let's go with that. That's what's gonna sell. We're gonna do that. We're gonna go with that, which is probably nothing new. But but um, but I think this this heightened uh, consciousness and conscientiousness um, of the people who really feel that we are on a bigger mission to heal the planet and create a you know propel humanity into a new reality. You know, we've kind of gone beyond that. And when you have that group of people, that's, as I say, you feel at home. You feel that these are people with which you can work with and not expend energy explaining or getting them on board. 
that's the magic of the place. I think, how do you, you know, you say climate is a, is a reaction to the way that we've been treating uh, Mother Earth uh, as a community, as a, as a, you know, as humanity for a rather long time. And if you think about, you know, where that whole storyline is going, it's going into a kind of like, oh, we can save the planet and we are going to do this and do that. I mean, ultimately, the planet doesn't need to be saved. The planet will be just fine. We are the ones that are going to be screwed because of her reaction to our treatment of her. And I think ultimately, you know, that's been a narrative that's been going on a little bit too long and it's time to look a little bit deeper as to how we can actually come together to kind of, you know, really co-create and be there to kind of pick up the pieces or if it, if it's not too late completely uh, and and it's good you bring it up because because that is that is essentially the problem with the whole climate change narrative i mean it take the word sustainability sustainability means to sustain which basically means to hold up what we've been doing for the past couple thousand years hold it up hold it up let's do the least uh, the least amount of things possible so we can keep sustaining the same narrative the same trajectory um, but the thing is that we need to we need to really change our relationships on a much 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 deeper level and the, the, the planet the, the planet will survive that's yes it will it will survive we've, we've been through three previous mass extinctions we're going through the fourth uh, there will be probably a fifth and the sixth and some of them may be naturally caused or whatever but this one is caused by our own behavior and the problem with that is not that we are mistreating the planet and again this is I always get the feeling, as a child, I always felt the, the pain of the planet, of the plants, of the animals. And uh, when I first communed with ayahuasca, it was also this feeling like, like it's like you're mistreating your mother. It's like you're, you're hurting your mom. You know, like, how can you, how can you have this bad relationship with the thing that, ga- that gave you life? And that creates not so much a conflict for your mother. It creates, a, well, it also creates a conflict for your mother. But in this case, it creates a conflict for us internally. So it's not about saving the planet. It's about saving humanity. And then, and what do we do when we save humanity? We become more human. We become better humans. So even if all of this is going to fail, even if it's too late, at least it's like I'm going to die super happy and content that I did everything to become a better human and to be a good human and to to do the best I can, which I think is the best thing that anyone can aspire to. That if this, if we were brought into this dimension, this is what we've got. We made the most of it. And uh, and we did our best, and 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 I really feel good about what we did. Even you know, if if two days later an asteroid hits and you know humanity's fucked for some different reasons, it's not about it's not about the destiny. It's how how you play the cards, and and that's why I think that narrative has to change from a fatalistic one where we have to really protect something beyond ourselves to something that's like, no, we can be fulfilled and happy if we're more aligned with our true nature. I think it just comes back to how do you know if the seeds will grow? Because ultimately, we all know, you know, there's a deep expectation, perhaps, in some regards. But ultimately, when you really analyse, like, what is needed to fix the climate issue, it's, it's it's a coming together and to all be on the same page. I mean, why does war break out? It's because there's a disagreement and disparity between the way people view the wider perspective of what's actually happening. And ultimately, if fossil fuels are still being mined, there's just there's still this big money story behind all of this that is still churning. And it's never, you know, what does it take for those people, you know, to think about the future generations and not just what's happening now and how much money they need in their lifetime? Well, that's it. I mean, and again, we're, we're, we're working on it. When, when it comes to the seeds will grow... The lyrics of the song we have, you need a little bit of faith in yourself. You need a little bit of trust in others. You need you need trust in the planet and what it does. You need to trust in higher forces and powers. You need to reconnect with something deeper within. Uh, but essentially, um, and in a more pragmatic way, uh, you need to create a narrative or a storyline that is much more attractive. You don't force people to go to your party. You make it super sexy, super fun, and then everyone's like, we want to go to that. So so the idea and the reason why entertainment or recreation is so important in what we're doing is because we don't want to force people or scare them into taking decisions which are better into the planet. We want to make it irresistible. Irresistible. That, like, no, that's, that's exactly like 
that's the food I want to eat. That's the music I want to listen to. That's the way I want to dress. And that just happens to be organic, uh, responsibly sourced. You know, we want to make it as sexy as possible. And and I th- I think that is how that transition is going to happen when you don't fight the current um, establishment or the current circumstances. You just create better ones. And then people naturally go, well, I'm going to head for that. And we already see this. It's like that. that's the way, you know, that's why people who are having kids invest stupid amounts of money in, you know, oh, no, I my child, I want them to only have organic or only wear natural clothes or only this. People are already hardwired to look for the best for what's them. Um, but we do need to transcend, transcend A, the, the individualistic mindset, which is conditioned by a sense of separateness. But more importantly, we need to get away from the idea that the metric of value is money and and that's that's an interesting one because 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 again uh, I mean money is a reality of this dimension it's it's something that we have to you know we have to play with but it just has to be in a more in a more in a more in a more balanced fashion again like poetry to the rescue it's like uh, Oscar Wilde has a lovely quote he says that a cynic is a person who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. And then uh, in the same in the same play, then someone says, "Yes, my dear, but uh, uh, a person who who ascribes I don't remember exactly, but something a person who who ascribes sentimental value to everything is 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 uh, is deluded or something like that." That's the second part of the quote. So I, th- I think it's about balance, but then how do you rebalance it? I mean, obviously, money will not go anywhere, and money has to be part of it, you know. And and again, I have nothing against business, entrepreneurship, or money. I think it's fantastic for me. The best business people are people who are actually true alchemists, you know, who take certain uh, key ingredients, circumstances, turn it to something better, which people value, and when they value it, they pay money. Well, the problem is when you're just tr- you're just operating business to maximize that one metric of financial value. That's when everything gets fucked. That's when, that's when you have financial systems which don't even know what they're doing because they're somehow you know creating more uh, more zeros and ones in in digital bank accounts, which make it seem that we're hey we're actually making a lot of money, but you're not you're not actually pre- providing any services any benefits. Um, so there has to be a balance there. It's not it's not about either or. And that's why, again, for me, for me, it was like, don't be reactive. Like, don't be reactive. Don't don't fight that fight. Just create something better. And then and then and then even the people, which again is very interesting. Like for example, in in the fashion industry, if you create something amazing and you get copied, that's a good thing. In the music industry, people are very you know they take care of their IP, their genres, and whatever. And it's like, no, oh, you're you're stealing my stuff. And some people don't want to share their secrets, like production secrets and stuff like that, which is is exactly the wrong kind of point of view. It's like, no, let's share so that we can get better, um, and and we'll, we'll we'll overcome it. I mean, I'm 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 at least I'm at least positive. In the sense that uh, I am, I'm inspired by the directions, the avenues, the ingenuity, the creativity that's coming up. Uh, also observing, you know, how people's mindsets are shifting, um, and so and so. If the process is good, who cares what the outcome is? Who cares? Um, if we're too late, if you know, you know, there's things that that are out of control. There have always been things that are out of control. Maybe the people in Pompeii were really nice human beings, but you know they got they got you know they got uh, they got massacred by a mountain, anyways. So so for me, it's like if it's in your control, do the best you can. And and ironically enough, you know I can take it full circle. It's like I feel that here I'm in tribe with people who feel it, and and it's even a joke, you know, where someone starts, you know, especially new people come. It's like, this is amazing, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do this, and then we can do that, and we can aggregate this, and then we can talk to these people. And everyone's like, shut the fuck up. We all read the script. We know. And if you know, then you don't need to talk about it. Do what you have to do, you know? Just do what you have to do. And to be in that in that, uh, in that that context with these people on this island, for me, is, is, is I mean, it's like... Um, it's like the embrace of oh, the warm embrace of fate. I'm going, here, stay here. It's nice. I'm like, yes, I love it. <laughs> 
that neatly brings us to the end. Uh, I cannot believe we've been chatting for an entire hour. I don't know if you want to close with a, a little troubadour. I don't know truncation. A little, a little, a little bit of an outro or something like that. What can I share for you? Becoming music together Becoming music together Becoming music together Brothers and sisters come gather round This simple act weaves people through sound Long before, not so long ago Music was something you didn't do on your own Cook it with emotion Treat it like it's sacred, like it means something. Cook it with emotion. Treat it like it's sacred, like it's sacred. Treat it like it's sacred. When you focus attention and intention, when you do it collectively, than an individual hallucination it's something that touches both you and me that's why it is lovely to expand that's why it's lovely to do things hand in hand that's why it's lovely when we transcend together like birds of a feather becoming music together Becoming music together Becoming beautiful, harmonious, coherent music together Something like that, no? Thank you so much. That was absolutely beautiful and a wonderful way to end today's Reset Rebel podcast. Thank you so much. It's the Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel Reset Rebel Coming to you every day